0: Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Freight to the Point, a podcast by Zencargo. I'm Alex Hersham, co-founder and CEO at Zencargo. And I'm joined again today by Chantal McRoberts, Head of Advisory at Drury Shipping Consultants. You probably heard of Chantal, or you probably even heard her speak to us as she's been on our podcasts before. She's spoken at last week's Navigate event. But we're back here again to pick her brains and find out more about how shippers should approach this tender season. Welcome, Chantal.
1: Hi, nice to be back. Thank you.
0: Delighted to have somebody of your experience back on the show. Why don't we dive right in and let's help the audience understand what's going on right now. So what are the key factors shaping how shippers, carriers and forwarders are approaching the last couple of months of this year and into 2023 tender season.
1: Yes, it's an interesting question. I think all three are approaching this slightly differently. Probably all feeling different about it as well. Hmm. Some more anxious than others, shall we say. Clearly the market has shifted since last year. Rates are, you know, on a 30 a confirmed 31 week decline and they're still declining on the main trades. I'm going to caveat that, that it's not happening on the secondary trades quite yet. And we're starting to see a bit of a wobble from our carriers, friends, and also some hesitancy from the forwarders. So when we think about, you know, how are they shaping that or how are they thinking, we put them into three separate groups. Shippers, they're concerned now about transit times, probably high detention and demurrage charges, and maybe some high dead freight clauses because obviously demand is falling. Rates are obviously a concern. However, I think there is a shift that that is now not the main priority in terms of ocean freight spend. It is now going to be, again, service levels and, you know, where can they get their cargo to and where do they need to get it to and how much do they have to actually move in relation to their MQCs. Carriers, I think, are feeling slightly anxious. They know that demand is dropping. They know they have latent capacity coming in obviously the rates are falling. So they're really thinking about how do I secure capacity and cargo for my vessels in terms of actual cargo. We think local sales at the moment are probably more concerned about the immediate issue rather than the longer term issue. And it's really hard to know where the tender rates are going to settle. We know some of the carriers are already opening up their current contract rates, and we would expect the rest to follow at some point. Forwarders, again, sometimes stuck between a rock and a hard place. We see that they are also hesitant to commit, but we're seeing more flexible approaches. They don't have to give long-term rate indications, but they are perhaps being more strict on dead freight clauses, as we haven't seen that so much in previous years. We know some forwarders are willing to give three-month rates with some volume on spot rate mix. So I think they have more flexible approach and they're definitely more agile, which I think in this kind of tail spinning market is a definite advantage.
0: I hear that. And there's a lot going on across all of the key sort of players across the supply chain, specifically with shippers. And as they look to 2023, what are some of the key concerns you're hearing from them vis-a-vis tenders?
1: Tenders. I think, again, you know, we're running some bids for clients right now and we're seeing movements between, well, quite large movements actually between round one and round two I think they are thinking about when is best to go to bid. If you're on the TransPAC trade, you know, waiting as long as possible is is a good idea. If you're on that sort of January deadline, it really is making sure that you're up to date with all the market movements. I do think service level will be a priority, you know, considering that we know there will be less cargo to move, you know, People are going to want to move it on a vessel or a service that is going to be there when it says it's going to be there. So that's key and surcharges. There's hesitancy around how many surcharges are going to be applied during next year, whether they're going to be seeing carbon taxes come in. you know, The concept of peak season surcharge is probably slightly out the window now, but we know there's lots of discussions around that. Of course, rates are always going to be in the background.
0: And are you getting the sense from shippers in terms of some of these concerns that they have that they are trying to make conscious choices now in terms of either the carriers that they want to work with or in terms of the timing when they go to bid or are they trying to be flexible you you mentioned the example of people that have sort of january ends of their contract but they could always seek sort of three-month rates so what are you seeing on that side
1: I think, you know, shippers prefer to have long-term contracts if they can. Obviously, they have budgets and they need to get those signed off by, you know, the CFO. So the long-term contracts give them that sort of security in terms of spend and cost, But of course, they also want the flexibility to secure the best rates possible. So, you know, there's a lot of discussion about should we extend rates for another three months or should we break open our contracts now or do we start talking to our carriers? Clearly, the last 18 months hasn't helped in terms of relationships and trust. Mm. And I think, you know, the way that some of the BCOs were treated by the carriers is still resonating in the back of people's heads. So... That will also play a deciding factor on their choice for next year. So it, it really will be quite a, an interesting period to see how they do that strategically and who they felt has supported the most during a very, very difficult time. I think that will actually play quite a lot in the decision-making process.
0: That word support, I think, has been used a lot, actually both by shippers and carriers, to try and reflect longer-term relationships and the importance of those, and perhaps we'll come to that later. It's really interesting, though, what you're saying, because if you run a supply chain and you're speaking to your CFO and she's speaking about how do we make sure that we have the right thing in the budget, there's also the question of if rates continue to fall, how do we make sure that we have the flexibility for that? That puts sort of supply chain practitioners in a bit of a tricky position. So with that in mind, and we'll come later to some of the perhaps other in a bullwhip effects that I see coming in 2023. But do you think that sort of contractual commitments are worthwhile still now for shippers? And how should they be thinking about the spot market?
1: I think they're definitely worthwhile. And we would always advocate going for a longer term contract you know, for large BCOs, it's critical that they secure the capacity and that they can forecast. I think forecasting is really important if you're a BCO right now. You know, having an accurate forecast for your providers will really make a difference. And, you know, just that level of security, what I would say is that CFOs will be looking at indexes. They will be looking at RWCI or the Shanghai Index, and they'll be seeing the rates falling off a cliff. That's all very well and good if you're working on those primary trades, your rates will follow that trend to some degree. However, if you're on a secondary trade, the cascade effect of large vessels coming in is is much more delayed. So what we see is the secondary trades become much more resilient in terms of rate shifts when we know latent capacity is coming into the market. So you will be under pressure from your CFO to explain why your rates are not lower than what they're seeing on those indexes, you know, the, the 31%, 50% drops. But it, it is explaining to them that we're on a different trade lane. We have different capacity issues. So therefore you can't expect to see that translate directly. And I know procurement really, really struggle with that.
0: And we're hearing this from the youngest ever trade lane manager at PNO. Is that correct? So, <laughs> on a backhaul yeah, trade. On a backhaul trade, but still talking about <laughs> Yeah, talking but about yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> So we should take everything you're saying very, very yeah, seriously. Yeah, there's
1: the cascade factor. Stuff that you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was a while ago now, so I would like to say things have changed. But actually, I think we're back to those days now.
0: <laughs> but let's talk about index link contracts for a moment, because next year, rates who knows what's going to happen with rates? And I think, again, supply chain practitioners might be caught between wanting to do something long-term, really thinking about service levels, because I can see service levels being a challenge next year, wanting to go on and progress their supply chain. So we'll talk later about order management, SKU visibility, more agility in the supply chain. And 2023, I think, is a big year for that. And the potential for a restocking environment, which we spoke about briefly at Navigate last year. So if we speak specifically about these index-linked contracts, are they prevalent? How are people talking about them? Are people actioning them? What do you see and what are you advising?
1: So the index-linked contract is something that people ask us about fairly frequently. What we always say is, you know, they have a time and a place and it is about, is it the best fit option for you? If you go down the index-linked route, you're going to become more focused on your operational issues with your carriers because the rates are done, you know what your triggers are, you know what the mechanisms are, and you just leave it alone. So therefore you become much more operationally focused, which ties into the point about service level agreements. You can can really focus on your carriers delivering what they say they're going to deliver to you because the rates are a mute point. You've agreed them. However, with the rates sliding It may well be that some want to change the time period of those. So you might want to consider moving them to a quarterly review. I say monthly or biweekly at the moment might also be a consideration, but that's an awful lot of math to do. And you really need an Excel wizard in the background doing all of that. But, you know, your commitment would remain the same and the rates will have a two or four week lag or whatever it is. So it allows you room to look at other issues. We haven't seen so many people asking us we do index link contracts for people we haven't done any recently we can do them but it seems to be that everybody is still waiting for the rates to bottom out and i think that 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 time will will sort of evolve and probably by the time we get to the end of the year and we start to think about transpac rate negotiations it might become another subject that people are asking us about again i think another point on that is the you know sort of the mqcs within those index-linked we would probably say you need to revisit those terms. I heard the term forgiveness clause last week on not hitting an MQC, which I thought was, oh, <laughs> an interesting term. So we know people are talking about these kind of things.
0: And whether it's an index link contract or sort of an agreed contract at agreed rates, can you talk a bit about the role that these contracts play in building relationships between shippers and carriers and You spoke a lot last week about being sort of shipper of choice and how that all sort of feeds together.
1: I think, you know, contracts in many people's head is just about the rates, but there are a lot more to that. You know, they're a way to understand the fundamentals of your business and obviously the carrier's provision of how they're going to service your business. So it has a really important role and actually making sure that your contract is more personal to you, but also mutually beneficial to your carrier or forwarder is key. You know, it is the big building block of the relationship. And that's why we would always advise to make sure that you talk about your contract to your carriers, that you talk about any changes you're thinking about making before you go to bid allow them the time to digest that explain it to them it can be a, a carrier it can be an MVOCC. again it's a tool which you can build your relationship from but it's also something you're both signing up against and you're you know that's what you're both working to so you know you, there is some very different nature and relationships between some bcos and their carriers but again the contract is the starting point for all of that
0: and are there any best practices that you've seen in terms of things that should be included or excluded from contracts, with specifically in mind, building those sort of tighter, deeper relationships with either the carriers or the forwarders?
1: So right now, we would be saying, go and revisit your KPIs. I think KPIs totally went out the window. Nobody has enforced them. Nobody's probably even read the addendum at the back where they are. So revisit those, make sure they're still relevant to your business. Again, talk to your providers about you know, this is what we want to monitor. This is what we're going to be talking about in our quarterly business reviews. Please make sure you're prepared for that and understand why we're doing that. I think, you know, in a period where we're moving to, which is sort of managed decline and managed capacity, the KPIs will become important again. The other thing we would say is revisit your dead freight clauses. Make sure you go through those with a fine tooth comb.
0: But let's speak more about KPIs because we've spoken about, how do you negotiate? Do you go for a fixed or an index linked? And it's always hard to answer that question because two different companies might have different cultures, might have different margin, might have different desires to focus on different things. So it's really, it becomes quite a personal thing. But for 2023, it's my view that there's still going to be a a very, very high need for agility. I've spoken a lot about the fact that I see restocking um, as Something that could quite easily happen in Q3, Q4 next year. And I don't think people are talking about that enough right now or risk planning for that. But I see 2023 as the year where the supply chain has been waiting for a few years to have that stability to progress it, to work on these strategic initiatives to further reduce cost, create more flexibility with inventory management at sea inventory. But also to really push forward on ESG and carbon reduction and carbon footprint tracking. How do you see next year playing out through the lens of people wanting to focus on improving their supply chains? How do these sort of KPIs within the contracts play into them? And how should we be thinking about the sort of carrier of choice here through the lens of trying to make 2023 a really productive year from a supply chain management perspective?
1: So in terms of KPIs, you know, we work with clients to help them develop what we would call a golden list that they can use with their carriers. We would say, you know, don't don't go huge, don't go large, try and keep it down to five to seven that are easily measurable and you can talk about something that is real around them. There's no point having a list of 20 KPIs that you're never going to refer to and don't effectively mean anything. That's also going to, shall we call, cause friction with your providers and again, with your own operational team, because, you know, you can be sitting there as procurement, but operations have to deliver. So it is about having a a very specific list that's very visible and easy to measure and allows you to make changes where you need to make changes. Or if you're on that index link contract, allow you to talk about the operational enhancements that your carrier can or cannot provide. We know cancelled sailings are probably going to be quite a big issue during the course of next year, which will impact service level agreements. We know that labour strikes will impact everybody. So it's having those open discussions about what can your provider do to mitigate that risk? How are you forecasting to also help them mitigate the risks so that if we do go through a period of restocking, your forecasts reflect that? You know, I think taking volume and dividing it by 52 weeks is probably not going to work next year, considering where we're seeing demand fall to, supply come up, and then have some peak, as you say, on that restocking Q3, Q4. I, I think I do agree that is probably going to happen. So it is all about planning, visibility, consistency of forecast and consistency of communication and the KPIs can help with that but maybe we go back to the quarterly business reviews which I suspect haven't happened in quite a long time so that you're regularly talking about these operational issues and again it goes back to carrier of choice shipper of choice you know assuming that you haven't put all your eggs in one basket when you've gone to tender you're going to be having these conversations with you know a lot of your key partners and it's really understanding who's servicing that best through the course of next year.
0: I love the talk about forecasting. And that's one of the key powers that you can leverage from purchase order management. Purchase order management allows you to forecast effectively because your freight partner can see when purchase orders are due to be ready, can see any slippage, and it can actually be a very high quality partner for you with the carrier in terms of better forecasting. Um, And I actually believe that this sort of divide by 52 rule doesn't work and people are sometimes scared of giving more agile forecasts. Yes,
1: absolutely. But
0: I think carriers really appreciate that. If you're saying, listen, in eight weeks time, I know I said I'm going to have 30 a week, but I'm actually going to have 25 a week and then it's going to grow. And I'm seeing this through my perch shoulders. It's actually hugely beneficial for carriers. And I think that sometimes there's a misunderstanding there, or maybe there's just a lack of data, but it's definitely something at that we try to do through purchase order management. But coming back to your golden KPIs, I love that term. So you're absolutely <laughs> right. If KPIs, if they're too many, you don't focus on them. If they're not, if they're not easily trackable and observable, they become irrelevant. And QBRs, you know, for me, when we do QBRs with our customers, we look at the KPIs and then we look at what we're trying to achieve over the next quarter. So it, it tries to be both KPI visible and strategic look forward. But when you think about the top few KPIs. You don't have to give us all of the secret sauce here in terms of the five, six or seven that you would choose. But what are a couple of them <laughs> that, that you think that should really be um, in, in all of these contracts?
1: Well, that's a really good question. I, would, I suppose I go to my list and I think about you know booking lead time, booking confirmation timing, ship as booked. I'm going to say that one is, you know, I've said it as I think number three, but I think it probably should be up there as number one, you know, equipment and space availability that comes under shipped as booked, rollovers. Any red flags on any port congestion. So again, I'm going to talk about on-time departure, on-time arrival. Mm. And then, of course, actual shipped versus agreed allocation. I think those are the kind of things you're going to want to be talking about because we know that the carriers are going to go down this route of managing their capacity quite tightly to try and prop up the freight rates, basically. And I think I love that idea of you know the QBR, which in some ways is looking backwards, where targets were hit where they weren't hit, but that strategic looking forward of, okay, fine, that happened last quarter. You know, you had some cancelled sailings. We didn't meet that KPI. But what are you doing in the future to ensure that that doesn't happen? Or strategically, what are you changing? And should we have a discussion about changing the measurement or changing the average time? And getting ahead of the curve on that, I think is really important. So uh, I would I, I always like to look forward and how do we improve rather than you know the battering of backwards which often happens
0: and if it's if it's backward looking it can be done asynchronously you don't really need the meeting to say this is where we hit this is where we didn't hit no but, not but it's at really all. <laughs> that strategic forward-looking so those are some interesting kpis and they it, some of them live in harmony with one another some i guess are trying to say, well, next year is going to be difficult from a service reliability perspective. So, making sure lead times, ETA and ETDs, etc., as well as sort of shipped as books type KPIs. They are, they are some, they're in the same ecosystem, but they sort of play to slightly different things. Personally, I think Origin, Dwell, and everything that you do at Origin, which is why we're such proponents of purchase order management, it's so important. It's really the rudder for supply chains. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, totally hear these KPIs, and I think you've given this audience... Uh, some food for thought. I'm not going to ask you for more because I know then we're, we're sort of pulling on your core business, but it's uh, definitely definitely a lot there.
1: No, that's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, I would say perhaps the one I think is sort of been in the background and I know I've spoken about this on other webinars is detention and demurrage. I mean, you know, the visibility on that is is poor across the industry. We know people have been hit with high charges. And I really think that is a discussion that you need to start having with your, your providers right now on, you know, how are you measuring my detention in demurrage? Is it when the ship arrives or when my cargo gets off the ship and it's moving out to the quay? I think that will become a discussion point within those KPIs, actually.
0: That's interesting. And I think the structural trend is one of increased visibility and mutual understanding, whether through technology or through contracts. And with increased data sharing, so triggers become not ones that are contested, let's put it that way. And actually, you see it at destination yeah. in terms of D&D, but you also see it a lot at origin in terms of dwell time and in terms of this constant battle of was it the manufacturer's fault, was it the shipping line's fault, was it the forwarder's fault. And so I think that type of black box philosophy I don't think works going forward. And, and I think to build strategic partnerships. Mm. It should be based on you know clear information, clear guidelines and clear tracking against that, which comes back to this philosophy of have the right KPIs and, and make sure that they can be trapped. I want to pull this together now. So if we look at the top three things that you, know, you think that shippers should be thinking about as they plan their tender strategy, what would those be?
1: So I would think about transit times. I'd be thinking about better transparency on surcharges. I would be thinking about the number of rounds which I go to. And I would be thinking about the best mix from a carrier and maybe a freight forwarder perspective, because I think, you know, we're moving into a different world. And I totally understand the forwarders are in a really difficult place. You know, last year when it came to the tenders, they also weren't getting their allocations. But I feel that they're going to have more flexibility. They're going to be quicker to adjust to this market. So I think, you know, there was a lot of discussion about going direct to carriers last year. And I would say do that. But I would also say think about your mix, talk to your forwarders again, develop those relationships and really understand how they are using agile data, visibility to to deliver the movement of your cargo, but also who are the carriers they're working with as well.
0: Obviously, you're preaching to the choir there. So I completely agree. And thank you for that. But I do think (laughs) that as we approach a different point in the sort of cycle, if we can call it that, sometimes in supply chain, we talk about the bullwhip effect. And we sort of say, hey, we have to plan early so we don't have these bullwhip effects happen. And I think as we come to 2023 and beyond, we should also be conscious of that ourselves, that we shouldn't try to overshoot these type of environments, but really plan for the fact that there still will be a very, very high need for agility. And things that might seem obvious today might not look obvious in three months' time or six months' time. And so there's there's, there's still, for me, a lot ahead. Well, listen, I want to thank you, Chantal, for, for joining our podcast again. It's always a pleasure speaking with you, hearing your insights and discussing what's going to happen in the market. I think there's a lot that I can learn from you, a lot that our audience can learn from you. And, <laughs> thank you. and so again, I want to really thank you and thank you to the audience for tuning in to this episode of Freight to the Point. Please don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. And if you want to be on this podcast with me or any of my colleagues, please feel free to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn or via email. Chantal, thank you very much. And thank you again to our listeners. Until next time, goodbye, everyone.